how are you? It's a question, you know, we, we ask, kind of throw it around. It's a pretty common question, and the answers are usually pretty common, too. How are you? Good. If you have a stock response, fine. How much time do you have? That's when, that's when some people run. You're like, I don't have time. You know, so I was like, oh, not bad. Can't complain. Fine. But this morning, I want you to think about the question, not, not how are you, but I don't know if you've ever had somebody ask you, how are you Really? How are you, really? That's when somebody has time for the story, has time, energy, and capacity to actually listen and to know and, and try to understand where you're, you're coming from. And I want to ask you that question, how are you doing, really, this morning? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're living in a time where all around us, it's like, okay, everything's back to normal, everything's good, we're like, like the last few years never happened, but the truth is, is in the last few years, we've been through a lot together as a world, as a country, as a community, and I know in everybody's family, they've navigated unique situations, early retirements, virtual school, uh, job situations that are complicated, and, and so I know for a lot of people, when you ask them, how are you really, the answer actually isn't the surface level good. Usually it's a little more complicated than that I've found these days. Some people are, are anxious. They're anxious about the future, thinking about, okay, inflation and the economy and, and what, what's going to happen down the line this next year. Others, especially younger generations, are, are depressed, kind of down and despondent. Some people are, are, are not normal, they're not good, and they're like, great, and they're thriving in the season. If that's you, God bless you. Please come up and give us some tips one day. And, and still, a lot of other people are what one psychologist called languishing. In a news article I read said, languishing is probably the top emotion of 2021. And languishing, uh, one person defined it this way, it's a sense of stagnation and emptiness. It feels as if you're muddling through your days, looking at your life through a foggy windshield. So if you have, if you have like, you're thriving over here, and then you're, you're depressed and you're really down over here, languishing is in that middle range, and it's that feeling that could be summed up as meh. You know that term, M-E-H? Meh. Like, yeah, fine. Not great, not terrible. Get, getting through. And I mean, I, I, I felt that a lot of times during the last couple of years. Maybe you have... Too, but I've, I've found people aren't just experiencing that emotionally, but a lot of people are feeling that spiritually as well. And recently, the American Bible Society, they do an annual State of the Bible survey, and they found that in the last year or so, 26 million people have mostly stopped or completely stopped reading the Bible. I said, eh. If you've navigated and stuck with us through the pandemic, God bless you. Glad you're here. But you know, like, right, we've been up and down, and we've tried to do everything we can to be creative and reach people, and Easter, we had a great Easter, and people are starting to come back to church, which is awesome. But you know, like, a lot of people who were going to church before the pandemic aren't back, and it's not because they're mad at the church, it's not because of the coronavirus, it's, it's just because of, meh, you know, my life's okay, and I don't know, I don't have the energy. People are... A lot of times spiritually disengaged, praying less. 
And th- these are all generalities, right? I mean, these are some things I've seen, but I, I actually want to know from you this morning, how are you really? And, and so we actually have, we're going to put a slide up on the screen here. You might be tired of these little QR codes at restaurants, but we're going to throw one on the screen. And if you pull out your phone right now and scan this QR code, I want you to do that right now. Uh, you can let us know how you're doing, really. How you're doing spiritually in this season. So if you have a phone, I want to invite you to do that. I got my little mini iPad up here. And once you vote on here, it's actually going to show you the results of everybody in this room. And so if you have 10, it's a rating 1 through 10. How are you feeling spiritually? 10 is, hey, I'm doing amazing. I'm thriving. I feel very close to God. That's over here. It looks like y'all are all taking my picture, but you're not. Uh, then you have one over here, uh, which is I'm struggling and I feel distant from God. Then you have five in the middle, which is meh. Yeah, I feel well, okay. Not great. kind of wild. I can see them live coming in here. If you're online, you can do this online, find another device, scan it. And you can go to that website if you don't have a phone and, and type in the code there. But, but as stuff's coming in, you can kind of see where people are. Can you see on your device the little bar graph? So you have some people who feel like, hey, I'm very close to God in this season. And that's awesome, right? Praise God. That's where most of us want to be. We want to have passion. We want to have purpose. We want to feel like our hearts are on fire. But then there's other people who are, who are like kind of one to five, feeling maybe distant, maybe like they used to be higher, but now they're kind of down here. We got a lot of sevens in the room. That's awesome. And so you can kind of see here our, our breakdown. And if you need help, you can ask a younger person to help you. Are the results not showing up? Click refresh. Refresh it, and then you should see the bar graph. Y'all see it? Yeah, okay. Click, click refresh there, so you can, you can check it out later. So we have, we have really, most people are kind of three to seven um, here on this scale. So we have people who are feeling kind of distant, people who are, who are feeling good, and I just thought that would, that would be interesting to kind of see where we are in this room. How are we really? And if you're at 10 right now, maybe this message you feel like doesn't apply exactly to you. But the truth is, is just like our emotional health is on a spectrum and it changes, so is our spiritual health. It's not a static thing. And so if you feel like, you know what, maybe, maybe you're a little disheartened right now. Maybe you're a little down. Maybe you want to feel closer to God, have your heart on fire. That's what I want to talk with you about this morning. How to, how to move from, from a three to a seven. How to grow in intimacy with God and feel his presence. And have him reveal himself to you this morning. To grow from being disheartened to having a heart on fire. And as we do that, we're going we're gonna to look at one of the most famous resurrection appearances of Jesus. They're still trying to figure it out, okay. It's this front row technology here at Prime Timers. We'll help you after the service. We'll help you after the service. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. The geriatric section, these three on the front row. 
Uh, that's what they said. That's what they said, not me. I didn't say that. Um, but one of the most famous resurrection appearances in the, in the Bible, besides Jesus meeting the women at the tomb, is soon after that, on the third day after he had died, a few of his followers were walking to a town called Emmaus. Emmaus was a little ways away, and they were walking there that day. And on the third day, I mean, we think of the third day as a day of hope, but for them it was a day of great despair because this was three days later. I mean, Jesus' body in their minds was starting to decompose because when they thought about the Messiah, the idea of the Messiah who was going to save the world dying on a cross was crazy. The idea that the Son of God would suffer and not reign in victory was incomprehensible to them. And so even though Jesus had told his followers, I must suffer, I must die, and rise again to be raised into glory, they didn't get it because they didn't have the categories to understand what was going to happen. And so that day, as they were walking to Emmaus, I mean, they were not just down or languishing, I mean, they weren't a seven on the scale. They weren't a five on the scale. They were a one on the scale, feeling like hope was gone. They had no future. They didn't know what to do. And maybe when, when you're feeling down, you have those, those things you do, those places you go. Maybe you binge out on Netflix or go get your ice cream or go home to your mama's house. That day they were going to Emmaus. We don't know exactly why, but they didn't know what else to do. And so they were walking that day when the resurrected Christ showed up in their midst. And this morning, rather than, than reading to you the story, it's a beautiful story in Scripture. We're going we're gonna to play a video in just a moment that, that is, the, is the words of Scripture set to the scene. And we've done this in the, uh, the last few weeks some. It's from a group called the Lumo Project, and they've done a great job illuminating the Bible through these films based on Scripture. And so I want to invite you to sit back right now, try to put yourself in these followers of Jesus' shoes as they meet him once again. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said 
he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are! And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? When these disciples of Jesus were hopeless, hope showed up next to them. When they were down and out, Jesus sought them out and revealed himself to them. When they were disheartened, Jesus Christ showed up in their midst and, as they say, their hearts began to burn and to be on fire. And now, of course, if you, if you, if you caught it there in the story, they didn't recognize Jesus at first because they still, even though he had said he was going to rise again, even though they heard from women that the tomb was empty, they, they still didn't have a category for resurrection. But even though they didn't recognize Jesus, Jesus recognized them. And he was pursuing them. And now you're not supposed to have a favorite child, but you can have a favorite gospel, okay? And my favorite gospel is Luke. And, and I love Luke because Luke gives a lot of details. He, he gives us some stuff that other gospel writers don't. And, and one of the things I love in Luke is, is that he tells us how Jesus revealed himself to these disciples and, and, and moved them from despair to hope. How the resurrected Christ transformed them in those moments. And so I want to look a little closer at some verses we just heard. Luke chapter 24, verses 30 to 32. We read this. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, 
gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us? And if you have your Bibles or a, or a Bible app or something, I want you to underline these verses this morning, 30 to 32, because here we see how Jesus revealed himself to them and transformed them. And we see that it was as they gathered around the table with him, as they talked with him, and as he opened up the scriptures to them and revealed to them that all of the scriptures point to himself. And, and when, they, when they saw that Jesus Christ was resurrected, that he, he didn't just die, that he rose again, I mean, they, they, they moved to people who had purpose. They had joy. They began to ran. They went and they went and told all of the other people because their lives had changed in that moment. The resurrected Christ transformed them. And I also want you to see this. This is another detail Luke Luke gives us that they went back and they told the 11 about what had happened because at this point, Judas is no longer with them. And when they went and told the 11, what this means is the, the, the ones that Jesus showed himself to, these weren't part of the original 12 disciples. These were part of a larger group of followers of Jesus. And so Jesus, he didn't just show up to the spiritually elite or, or to the 12 disciples that he had chosen before. He didn't show up to people who had it all together or who were spiritually high-fiving each other. He showed up to people that day who are a one on the one to 10 scale. And what I think that means for us is that no matter who you are, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how many doubts you have, no matter how long you've been in church, the truth is Jesus is seeking you out. He wants a relationship with you and he wants to reveal himself to you as well. And to move you from disheartened to having a heart on fire. He wants to set our hearts on fire just as he did theirs so long ago. And when we look at, look at these verses, we see here how Jesus did it then, and, and I think it's a pattern for how he does it today. We see these practices. Sometimes in the church we call them means of grace or spiritual disciplines. These are practices which when we engage them, Jesus promises to meet us, to reveal himself to us, and to transform us. And the first one, as I mentioned a moment ago, is, is gathering around the table. Gathering around the table, and we have it here. You can think about it as fellowship. Fellowship, gathering around the table with others and sharing in a meal. And now this might not seem super holy or super spiritual, but the truth is that when we look at Jesus' ministry, some of his best work was done around tables. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. Right after the feeding of the 5,000, Simon Peter made the confession that you are the Messiah, you are the Lord. As Jesus broke the bread and fed people, his eyes were open. You think about the Last Supper, which we remembered in this last few weeks. It was there. Jesus gave them some final words, and he instituted this meal together. And now as a church, when we share in it together, Christ is present with us, and he transforms us. You might remember the story of another resurrection appearance when Jesus shows up to Simon Peter after he denied him three times. What does Jesus do? Do you remember? He asks him some questions, and then he also, he cooks fish for breakfast. Y'all like fish for breakfast? Well, it's biblical, okay? Fish for breakfast is biblical. Put that in your notes. 
Go get a salmon patty on a biscuit, okay? Jesus cooked fish for breakfast. And there he restored Peter to ministry and gave him a new purpose and outlook. And then, of course, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, and he gave them love. He gave them a sense of belonging. He transformed them around the table. And I believe as we fellowship with one another, as we gather and eat and invite Jesus Christ to be present, I don't think we should be surprised when he shows up. And this is why we do potlucks as a church. This is why we ate together last week. This is why we encourage you to get meals with one another because it can be holy moments. And when I think about this happening in my own life, I think about a series I preached many years ago now when I was a young lad. I had just come to the church. It was on loving your neighbors, and we had a bunch of doors up here. Do you all remember that series? And the point of the series was to encourage you to get to know your literal neighbors and to not just keep loving your neighbors as this theoretical thing. And so I wanted to practice what I preached, so we began to try to get to know one of our neighbors, and we ended up inviting this neighbor to dinner with us. And we had a good time. We cooked, and we laughed, and we ate. And there was no, like, Holy Spirit moment or any magical feeling at dinner, but that was okay. But looking back now, I could see God at work through that table fellowship together because soon after that, he, he began to have some health issues. And because of that meal and because we had begun to develop a relationship, he, he felt vulnerable enough to ask us, hey, will you, will you cut my grass because I can't do it anymore? Will you get my mail? Will you roll up my trash can? And there were very simple things, but, but as I began doing them, what I realized is that this was Matthew 25 in action. If you remember Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you're doing it for me. And as I was cutting his grass, it wasn't a chore like cutting my own grass. It was like I was cutting Jesus' grass and rolling up his trash can, and I had a fresh encounter with Jesus as I served my neighbor, and it all began around the table. As we ate together, and Jesus was drawing our hearts closer in a way we didn't quite understand at that point. And so this morning, I want to challenge you this week to maybe invite somebody to lunch after church. Invite a family member or a friend over for a meal. Don't think of that as like, Social time, you can think of it as social and a spiritual moment as you invite Jesus to be present and to work in the midst of that gathering because just as he did back then, he wants to work today as we gather with one another in those holy moments. So that's one way, fellowship. And we'll, we'll put these on the screen here. Uh, we have first, fellowship, gathering around the table. And then the second is is prayer. I don't know if you caught that in those verses. The disciples said, as we were walking with him and talking with him, were not our hearts on fire? And this is really what prayer at a simple level is. It's walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus. And I want you to think about this here. If you were like a seven or less on that scale... I want you to think about when the last time you prayed was, not to shame you, not to guilt you, but because in my own experience, when I'm feeling disconnected from God, usually if I take stock of my life, one of the things I realize is that prayer has begun to fade from my everyday actions. Usually when I'm feeling distance from God and like 
maybe Jesus isn't walking with me and I don't feel his presence, it's usually because I've neglected to pray and to talk with him and to walk with him. And prayer doesn't have to be complicated. And if you haven't prayed in a few days or a few months or maybe a few years, I love what one writer, Adam Weber, in his book, Talking With God, says. He says, look, when you come to God after not talking with him for a long time, he said it's like how some of us are when we call our parents after not talking with them for a long time. Now, maybe you have parents who shame you. That's not how God does. But maybe your parents are like mine. They're like, hey, so good to hear from you. I wish you would call more often, but I, I love hearing your voice. That's how Jesus is with us. He loves hearing our voice. He loves walking with us. He loves talking with us. And when we do, his presence is revealed to us. His power comes to us. We receive mercy, forgiveness, and purpose as we talk with him. It's a way that he revealed himself to them and he reveals himself to us. And then there's that third thing, and that is that, that Jesus revealed himself as he opened up the scriptures to them. As he opened up the scriptures, and when Jesus opened up the scriptures that day, they didn't realize it was Jesus who was giving them a Bible study lesson. I mean, wouldn't it be awesome to have a Bible study lesson from Jesus? That's what he was doing that day. And what he showed them on the road is, is that you can't understand the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus apart from the scriptures, and you can't understand the scriptures apart from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus because everything in this book points to him. That's what he was revealing to them on the road that day. And as they, they heard God's word and they began to see that it's all about Jesus, their hearts were set on fire and they began burning within them. And this is why, as a church, we try to be a Bible-reading church. This is why, leading up to Easter, we walked through the Gospel of Matthew together. Because it is in this book that we receive the words of Life And so often people are like, I wish God would speak to me. And yet we neglect the primary way that God has chosen to speak to us through his holy word. And so maybe, you know, you read through Matthew with us, but right now you don't have a Bible plan. You can go to the Bible app. You can start in the book of Acts. It's a great thing to read after Easter or find a daily devotional based on God's word. But it is so important. Because it's through here that Jesus reveals himself to us. And this is at the heart of our church. This is also at the heart of, of Methodism. If you're not familiar with the Methodist movement, it was begun by a man named John Wesley who was a young priest in England. And one day he found himself like wanting to grow in intimacy with God and wanting to experience the joy of his salvation and purpose and God's love in a fresh way. And so he, he kept meticulous journals and he wrote in his journal that one day he went reluctantly to a prayer meeting at Aldersgate Street in London. And have you ever been reluctantly to church or a prayer meeting? Anybody in here? Some of y'all are lying, but that's okay. <laughs> today, what should we do today? You know, I've, I, you know you've know, probably gone like gone to Bible study reluctantly. You're like, oh my gosh, I wish I could just watch Ozark on Netflix and not go to this Wednesday night study or I wish I could just sleep in or go to Leo's for brunch on Sunday or something, right? Like a lot of times we go reluctantly. He went reluctantly to this prayer gathering and when he showed up, someone was reading Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans. It was like his commentary 
on Paul's great letter to the Romans. And here's what Wesley wrote in his journal. While he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he has taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. When he heard God's word opened up that day and was reflecting on it, he moved from like a three to a 12 on the scale and he began to go and preach to the poor and to the coal miners. And in that day they had these parishes and you weren't supposed to preach in other people's area. But he said, you know what? I have to preach the good news to other people. And so he began to go out. He commissioned missionaries. They came to the United States. They began planting churches. And all of it started not with a great light show, not with a great building, but with God's word, as he reluctantly went to a prayer meeting and the scriptures were opened up and he began reflecting on them, God met him through Jesus Christ in a fresh way that day and his heart was strangely warmed and God continues to work in that same way today and he wants to work in your life. That's what I want you to hear this morning. And so when you look at these three things, fellowship, Prayer, Bible study, I want you to think about it in your life this week. You don't have to be super ambitious and try to conquer them all, but which one could you make a priority? Because these are practices through which Jesus has promised he will show up when you do them. He will meet you. And he wants to give you life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus didn't come so that we would have life and lives which we are just languishing away. He came that we might have life. Life abundant and life eternal. And it's not just something for the future. It starts here and now. So would you bow your heads with me as we ask Jesus to meet us this morning? Jesus, you tell us in your word that where two or three are gathered, you are there. And so we know that you are here this morning. Whether we perceive your presence, whether we recognize your presence, whether we feel your presence or not, we know that you are here, but God, we ask this morning that you would give us a greater revelation of your love, that you would give us a sense of your presence, and that you would transform us from the inside out into the people you've created us to be. We've all been walking through a lot, but we thank you that we have never walked alone that you are right beside us. And this morning and this week, we pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our hearts, open up our hands, open us up to see how you are still working in our lives and in our world today. We ask all of this in Christ's holy name.